And Father, what beautiful truth that is. What freeing truth that is. What powerful truth that is. What awesome truth that is. That there is none like you, O God. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. That's awesome. And Father, I thank you so much that, Lord, you gave us, by your grace, the privilege of gathering here today to exalt that name, your name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, would you continue to move with us by your Holy Spirit now? Would you continue to refresh those that are weary, to strengthen those that are weak, to give peace to those who are anxious, and give truth to those who are doubting? Oh, Father, would you bring your word forth today through me. Let not one word, Lord, be of my mouth that is not of you. Oh, God, we need to hear from you. We need to hear from you so much, Lord. Give us a taste of your glory. Continue to manifest your presence here among us now in this place. And Father, I pray that whatever distractions we have from this week, we lay them at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we would do well to pay attention, Lord, to what you would say to your church today. He who has ears to hear, oh Lord, let us hear today what you would say to your church. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Harvest. What a blessing it is, and I mean that genuinely. What a blessing it is to be here with you again this morning, lifting high the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, today's message is the third message in our four-part series as we go verse by verse, word by word, line by line through Philippians chapter 3. The title of the series is Towards the Goal, God's Glory in the Believer. Towards the goal, God's glory in the believer. First week we looked at uh, Philippians chapter 3, 1 to 11, where what is our greatest gain? What is our greatest gain? Our gain of Jesus Christ through faith in our lives. That's where everything starts. Last week we looked at verses 12 to 14 of pressing on towards the goal in a message entitled, Embracing My Purpose. What is the purpose of our lives? Why are we here? And now this week, we build on that. This title of this week's message is Growing in Maturity. So we have faith in Jesus Christ. We're pressing on toward the goal. So how do we continue to grow in our walk with the Lord into maturity? And it's taken from Philippians 3, verses 15 to 19. And if you do not have a copy of God's word in front of you, please put up your hand nice and high so that our ushers can come forward right now and put a copy of God's word in front of you. We want to make sure that you can be tracking along as we go through this very important text this morning. Philippians 3, 15 and 19. And as we begin here, I have a question for you and it is uh, this. Loved ones, what things come into your mind when you hear the word maturity? Maturity. You hear that all the time. He's a mature person. She's very mature for age. What, what sort of things come into your mind when you hear that? You know, uh, maybe someone who's smart, that we think maturity is. Someone who's really smart. Maybe someone who's, who's older in years and has more experience. Or maybe someone who has lots of money. Obviously, they're pretty mature because they're obviously doing something right. They have a lot of money and 
can afford to do a lot of things. Well, when I dug a little deeper on this, um, I got the definition of maturity this week from dictionary.com. And it says this, maturity is defined as full development or perfect conditioning. Full development or perfect conditioning. Now, on the surface, that may seem, okay, well, that sort of makes sense. But then, as you start to think about that, as we've got to think biblically through these things, when you start to think about that, um, the question arises, well, how do you know when you've reached full development or perfect conditioning? How do you know what perfect conditioning is? Like, that's the perfect flower. How do you know? What's the standard for perfection you're using? You don't know. You see, who sets the standard of what perfect conditioning, full development is? What if I told you that true, perfect, and lasting maturity, the truth is it's not possible to achieve on your own. No matter how hard you work for it, no matter how smart people may say that you are or how much you've done, it, it's not achievable on your own. And that's why there's, there's, no, there's no answer for this question of what perfect conditioning is, humanly speaking. In fact, what have I told you that everything that this world tells us maturity is and how we are to pursue it is actually not what true, complete, and perfect maturity is at all. It actually completely misses the mark. Everything this, this world tells us perfect maturity looks like. And here in this text, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, addresses this very issue of what growing up into the only true and perfect maturity means and how we are called to pursue it in our lives. He gives us the standard for what maturity is and how we are to grow up into that standard. And he lays out for us the standard that will never change is perfect and will last into eternity. And that is this, the image of Jesus Christ in our lives. The standard of maturity, the image of Jesus Christ. And Paul gives us two crucial truths that we must embrace if we are to grow and mature into the image of Christ. Let's pick it up in verse 15. Let those of us, he says, Philippians 3, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, see the compassion there? Even with tears, Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. We see here right out of the gate that to mature in Christ's likeness or the image of Christ in us, you must have a mindset of maturity. A mindset for maturity. Look at verses 15 and 16. It says this. Let those of us who are mature think this way. 
And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So there at the first part of verse 15, Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. What, what type of maturity is he talking about? Is he talking about the world maturity that we defined right out of the gate this morning? What type of maturity is he talking about? Well, he's talking about spiritual maturity here. And there's a definition you'll see here on the screen. Spiritual maturity is defined as growing more into the image of Christ with an increasing ability to distinguish the wisdom of God from the wisdom of the world. Okay? Key distinctions there. Growing more into the image of Christ with an increasing ability to distinguish the wisdom of God from the wisdom of the world. Now we have to stop there for a second because what Paul isn't saying here is that by being a mature follower of Christ, listen, being a mature follower of Christ doesn't mean that you're a perfect follower of Christ. Okay? That won't happen on this side of eternity. All right? I don't know about you, but that's a pretty big relief for me. Saves the striving, the anxiety to do so. But what it does mean, a mature follower of Christ, means that It is one who is pursuing Christ and growing in his image and have this as their greatest goal. In essence, if we could break that all down and say this, they are making their sanctification or becoming more like Christ their highest priority. Spiritual maturity. Making the growth of the image of Jesus Christ in your life through the Spirit your highest priority. Okay? And notice what he says next, verse 15b. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. See, Paul, Paul is speaking here to those people in the church, mind you, in the church, loved ones, who don't see the need to be living a Christ-centered life or to press on toward the goal of Christ-likeness in all areas of their lives. These, are, these may be people who want to do it in some areas. I'll follow Christ in this area, but, oh, don't ask me to follow this. I'll have to give a lot up to get there. They don't see the need for it in all aspects of their lives. These were people who were hanging on, as we talked about last week, past achievements or sins and were no longer moving forward in their pursuit of Christ. And where Paul says, back half of that verse, verse 15, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. What he's saying here is for these people, Paul is leaving them in God's hands for him to correct them eventually, even if it meant through the Lord's discipline of them. Why? Because Paul knew this crucial truth that you and I need to hang on to today, and it is this. You and I cannot change the heart. You and I cannot change our heart. We can't change someone else's. That's why Paul says God will reveal that to you, because he knows that crucial truth that only God can change the heart. And I wonder, loved ones, hit me this week, I wonder how much of the anxiety we experience, the frustration or the worry or the fear, maybe the anger we experience is a result of us trying to do God's work for him in the life of another person. God will reveal that. But look what Paul says we are to do. Verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. 
isn't Paul, like the Holy Spirit, so beautiful how he writes this. Notice how he inspired Paul to say there, only let us, us. What's Paul doing there? He's not like, so you have to hold true. He's like, let us. That's such a key word because Paul's saying that he still needs to do this. He's not like, I've arrived, church. Just follow me. I'm good. No, no, no. He's saying us. We're together in that. It is a lifelong pursuit. We never reach a point in our walk with Christ where we're like, we've arrived. And this is what Paul is saying here. Notice where he says, hold true to what we have attained. That The Greek term there for hold true means to stay in line spiritually. Okay, Stay in line, loved ones. Continue to hold fast to what you know to be true and keep doing what you've been doing already to get here as you've been growing into the image of Christ. Keep doing the same things you've been doing. Keep going. Don't make it more complex. Keep going back to what God promises to bless in your life, in your sanctification, in your holiness as you pursue him. Go back to those things. Don't forget, we try to make it so complex, don't we? Lord, go back to what he promises to bless. We could say it this way. If we live in this text, we say, here's Paul, cheerleader, saying, come on, church. Come on, church. Come on, keep going, keep holding fast, keep pressing in to know Christ and have him as your greatest pursuit and first love. Come on, church. I know it's tough at times, even when you see others in the church stopping or walking away or, or saying certain things and, and stalling out. You keep going. Keep going. Stay in line with your pursuit of the prize of his image and presence in you. He is worth it. Nothing else comes close. Nothing else comes close to this. Our greatest goal, our greatest prize. Keep going. I know it's hard. Why does he have to exhort them in this? I mean, why? If they're they're coming to church every week and hearing God's word and why does he have to keep exhorting them in this? Because here's the truth. There are not many people who truly want to count the cost of pursuing Christ in their lives. Even though they may say they do. Because these people were, as we'll find out who they are in a few verses. And it is at this point where most people stop pursuing Christ because they say, I desire to grow in Christ as long as it coincides with my time and my way and I can count the costs that I want to count. Been there. Anyone else been there? I've been there. I want to do it on my time. I'm going to do it my way. I'll let go of what I want to let go of, what's easy to let go of, but don't ask me to let go of the hard one. This is where, stop. And they do this I've done this, still do this, instead of asking the Lord for a deepening desire for Christ-like maturity, no matter what, through all the means that he's put around us to use for this purpose, our kids. Anyone else can identify that? Identify with that, how the Lord uses our kids as a beautiful tool of sanctification in our lives? Right here. Maybe our spouse, maybe our job, Here's one, maybe that illness that you're going through. The trials that you're facing. Oh God, I'm not going to give it up. I have a right to feel this way. I have a right to do this. I, have a, I want this way to go this way and when I want it to go. I'm not giving it up. I 
This is where, loved ones, this is where having a mindset for maturity is crucial. If we are to continue to hold true in our pursuit of Christ by his Holy Spirit, having the mindset for maturity. And so how about you? How about me? Are we living with that mindset for maturity in our pursuit of Christ? increasingly distinguishing the wisdom of God from the wisdom of the world by doing the things in the power of his spirit. Can't do it on our own. But doing the things in the power of his spirit that he promises that he will bless in our families. Are we doing it in our families? Men, are we leading our families biblically in the authority that we've been given through Jesus Christ? It's a picture of his church. In our marriages, spouses, laying down our lives for one another. Husbands, loving your wives. About in our jobs or in our classrooms. In our, in our recreation. We have a mindset of maturity in how we use our time. In the entertainment choices that we have. Our finances. All of these are tools God will use. Because here's the thing, Kevin DeYoung... In my research this week, um, he said this, and I'll read it over you, uh, and he broke it down very simply. The will or purpose of God for your life is pretty straightforward. Don't make it complex. It's pretty straightforward, no matter what we are doing, no matter if you're with your finances, with your marriage, and your job, and your kids. It's pretty straightforward. Be holy like Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God. Be holy like Jesus by the power of his spirit for the glory of God. And so some of you may say, well, wait, I, I want to grow in maturity in Jesus Christ, but how do we grow in having this mindset of maturity? What does this even look like to take the steps to do that in the spirit? Well, praise the Lord. We see here in these Two verses, uh, three ways we grow in having a mindset of maturity. Three ways we grow in having a mindset of maturity. Number one, through a desire to pursue Christ likeness. Through a desire to pursue Christ likeness. Look at verse 15a again. Let those of us who are mature think this way, desire these things, think this way. See, having a mindset for maturity has to start in asking the Lord to give us a desire for it. To give us a desire for it. It's not something we can just manufacture. Today I'm going to live for the Lord. That's not going to last. We can't white knuckle that desire. We have to ask the Lord for it. And we have to know that he's going to give it. Why? Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of Christ. It's something he wants to give you. But we need to ask him for that. Three ways we grow in having a mindset for maturity. Number one, we have to have a desire. Ask the Lord for a desire to pursue Christ-likeness. Number two, we grow in having a mindset of maturity through being teachable and receiving correction. And receiving correction. Look at verse 15b. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal. That means if you need any correction or anything else, God will reveal that to you. I have to be honest. This is one of the biggest stumbling blocks for people that hinders their maturity in Christ. And it is this. 
They are not teachable and will not take correction from the Lord. As, hands down, our flesh's default, you have to understand, our flesh's default is to always go to pride. To not take correction. Because it can be hard to hear sometimes. You have to remember, that's our flesh's default. It goes away from correction. And this, as such, is one of the biggest stumbling blocks for people in pursuing maturity in Jesus Christ. And often, we do what we can to avoid it and not invite it into our lives. Why? Because of pride. We love ourselves way too much. The Bible never exhorts us to love ourselves more. Do you ever understand that? You ever know that? The Bible never says, love yourself more. Because it knows we're already there. That's what our flesh does. We love ourselves way too much, and the thought of the Lord correcting us causes to recoil from his correction in our lives. But look at James 4, 6. This is a big thing in the sight of God. Look at James 4, 6. He says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Simple truth right here. To receive his correction is to receive his grace. Correction is such an act of grace from the Lord. Amen? It's an act of grace. And you say, well, wait a second. How does, when Paul says he will reveal that to you, how does the Lord reveal areas of our lives that are hindering our pursuit of Christ, growing in maturity? How does he reveal that? Three ways came to mind for this. Number one, through his word. Number one, through his word. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces bone from marrow. And it will expose the innermost attitudes of the heart. He reveals where we need correction, what's hindering us through his word. It's like a mirror. That's why being in front of God's word every day, loved ones, is so important. It's not some legalistic task. It's like, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. And he promises to meet with us when we seek him with our whole heart. Another way God reveals areas of correction to us are through his people. Through his people. Proverbs 27, 6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That means when a friend is willing to say that hard word to you in grace and truth and in love for you, but that is faithful. He's not beating you over the head with it. He's not hanging it over you, but in grace and truth, speaking the truth in love, when they are willing to say, this is what I see going on and it's not lining up with what we are called to hold true to, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse or abundant are the kisses of an enemy. Why? Because it's so easy to say, oh, you're good just the way you are. You're good, just keep going. I don't want to rock the boat. That's not a loving thing. You are not loving your brother or sister in Christ with that attitude. And Mark Dever says it this way. I love how he puts this. He says, part of being... A Christian is recognizing that sin deceives us. Sin deceives us. It distorts our reality and blinds us. And we need other believers to help us see things we cannot see ourselves. 
I could put it this way, um, I would sum that up and just say this. It's hard to see the full picture from the inside of the frame. And we need loving brothers and sisters to come alongside. And as the Lord reveals these areas in our lives, we need loving brothers and sisters to come and speak into that. And if you have, hey, loved ones, church, if you have someone in your life or a number of people in your life who loves you enough to speak the truth in love and not just give kisses and pats on the back all the time, hey, hey, don't run away from them. Hang on to them. That's a gift. That person is a gift from the Lord to you. And not just to you, but if you're married, it's a, he or she's a gift to your spouse and a gift to your kids and a gift to your coworkers and employers and classmates. Hang on to them. Don't run from them. Three ways God reveals areas of correction in our lives. Number one, through his word. Number two, through his people. Number three, through circumstances. Through circumstances. Sometimes our circumstances that we are in, it's a consequence of sin. Not all the time, sometimes. And the Lord uses circumstances to reveal correction in our lives that needs to be taken. See, here's what we have to understand, loved ones. God is always more passionate about our sanctification than we are. You understand that? He's always more passionate about it. Moving us by the power of his spirit, doing this work to bring us to completion for the day of Jesus Christ. He's more passionate about it than we are. And as such, he's going to reveal the truth to us. This is the most loving thing our creator can do. He's going to reveal the truth to us. The question is, will we receive it and humble ourselves under it? Will we receive it and humble ourselves under it in the pursuit and the growth of maturity of what it means to be a son and daughter of God? Will we receive loving biblical accountability and correction? Because here's the, real, here's the reality with that. It may not feel good. It may cause your pride to recoil in your flesh in the moment someone says that. But listen, receiving it is always a catalyst for growing in our maturity in Jesus Christ. It's always a catalyst for growth in our maturity in Jesus Christ as the Lord reveals it. So a question Are you inviting biblical accountability or correction into your life? And are you taking it without being defensive about it? You know, I was so blessed by one of the leaders in our church a couple weeks ago. Had a meeting with him and he said, where do I need to be corrected? But again, your flesh will not manufacture that for you. It has to be a God-given desire. You need to ask for that. Asking that question and walking in this truth is walking in freedom and is a catalyst for your growth and maturity in Jesus Christ all the time. Where do I need to be corrected? When's the last time we asked some, someone that? What do you see in me that's not honoring to the Lord? And humble ourselves on that.
Okay? Third way we grow in having a mindset of maturity, number one, a desire to pursue Christ-likeness, number two, being teachable and receiving correction, number three, verse 16, practicing what you know is true, verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have obtained, keep putting into practice what you know is right and that God has told us in his word, keep going back to what he promises to bless, Time in the word, time in prayer, time getting together in the church, walking in humility, walking in dependency, walking with a need on him. He promises to bless these things all the time. And we need him to generate that heart in us and help us walk by his spirit for those. To mature in Christ-likeness, you must have a mindset for maturity. A mindset for maturity. This doesn't feel good right now, but I know God is going to bless it when I go back and humble myself under it. A mindset for maturity. And with that, our last point for today is this. You must have a model for maturity. A model for maturity, for maturing in Christ-likeness. Look at verses, or verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. See, Paul calls a Philippian church to observe himself and the other godly examples that were in the church and watch their pursuit of Christ. Watch what they do. Watch how they work. Watch how they speak. If they have kids, watch their marriage. Watch their parenting. Watch these people. Imitate them. And once again, I have to quantify that and say this. Um, Paul's not saying that he and other more mature believers are perfect or have arrived. They're not living the perfect life. Remember the us? The us factor. But since they were further along in their maturity, their example, here, this is so key, their example was worthy to be imitated as long as they were following Christ in it. When it started to become about Paul, don't imitate it. As long as they were following Christ in it, it's worthy to be imitated. And so here, see what Paul does? Here in this verse 17, he gives an invitation to observe or imitate his life and the life of other mature believers and learn from them in both belief and practice. This is a call to discipleship. This is what it is. Imitate me, a call to discipleship. Following or being taught or learning from another disciple of Jesus Christ in both belief and practice so that you grow with them. And then in turn, you can then go ahead and teach others. And you say, and some of you may be saying this. Some of you may be saying here, well, wait a sec, I'm not, I can't do that, I'm a mess. I say that every day, don't worry, you're I say it every day. I can't do this. I'm a mess. Yeah, you know that, right? <laughs> Thanks, I. But here's the thing. It's like, you guys know, say, hey, hey, I can't do this. Listen, go back to what God promises to bless. 
Go back to what God promises to bless. Walking in humility. Making the time to come before him and learn from him in growing in your life. Now look at, you know, now here's why this, is, this call right here in verse 17 is so important. Because look at the next verse. Verse 18, Paul goes on to say, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears... Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul isn't saying, notice the tears piece. Paul's not saying here, those guys, get them out of here. Do this, they got no place being in here. Tears, his compassion. He's grieving for them. As we should for all who are walking away from the Lord. Not beat them over the head. A large number of professing followers of Christ within the church were actually false and in reality were enemies of the cross. And Paul says here to stay away from imitating these people. Don't imitate them and instead pursue or be influenced by the godly leaders and others who God placed around you within this church. This isn't, again, loved ones, hear me. This isn't some prideful boast, but it is a loving and urgent warning to not be deceived. One commentator puts it this way. He says, these were people who apparently made some sort of profession of faith and didn't necessarily oppose Christ. Okay? They weren't like, oh, salvation isn't by grace. They weren't weren't overt like that. But they were not pursuing Christ's likeness and in reality were opposing the gospel. If we could break it down, they were pretenders. They weren't pursuing Christ's likeness. These are people who could talk the talk. They had the right words. They'd been in the church. They had all the right words. They could say all the right things. Maybe even do the right things in the church to show that they were holy. But they didn't walk the walk genuinely. And there was no lasting fruit in their lives. There was no cross-bearing pursuit. So make no mistake, loved ones. Make no mistake, loved ones. There is a massive and crucial need for God-fearing, Christ-exalting discipleship within the church. That includes this one. For God-fearing, Christ-exalting discipleship within the church. This is how the church is called to multiply. 2 Timothy 2.2. And I love how Mark Dever puts it this way. He says, churches don't need programs so much as they need cultures of discipling. Cultures of discipling. Cultures where each member prioritizes the spiritual health of others by helping them to follow Christ. Saying, I'm not perfect. I've got all this stuff going on in my life, but imitate me in this part. Maybe I'm just a couple steps ahead of what I've learned and make him pass on to you. So how about you? Are you imitating those you know are maturing in Christ and pursuing him with their lives? Are you seeking that out? And maybe, here's the other thing, are you that person for others? You don't have to have it all figured out. One step at a time. As you grow in maturity, who are you inviting? We're not speaking of perfection here, loved ones, but we are emphasizing pursuit. Okay? 
And all of us at various points will sin, but the difference is that a person who is pursuing Christ-likeness and growing in maturity will be the one to repent of sin when needed, take correction, and continue to press on in the power of Jesus Christ. Don't hang on, forgetting what lies behind. Remember last week? Forgetting what lies behind. Achievements, past sins, failures, and straining forward to what lies ahead. So you say, well, wait a second. What does this look like? How do I know what a model of maturity looks like and and what I'm supposed to imitate and maybe what others are supposed to imitate in me as I grow in the Lord. Well, Paul tells us here three things that it doesn't look like and then as a result of knowing what it doesn't look like, the word of God points us to what it should look like. He gives us this, three characteristics we're called to not imitate. Verses 18 and 19 Again, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Here it is. Their God is their belly. The first thing Paul tells us to avoid imitating is selfishness. Verse 19b, their God is their belly. Paul is speaking here of people who are greedy for their own gain and are selfish with what they've been given. Their attitude resembles, I want more. What's in it for me? What can I get out of this? Mentality. And they can never have enough. The God is their belly. It just keeps driving them. The need for more and more and more. Can never get enough. Three characteristics we're called to not imitate. Number one, selfishness. Number two, next part of the verse, pride. He says their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. Self-glory. Glory in their shame. Paul is speaking here of those who boast in their accomplishments and effort. Boasting on yourself. Always speaking, this is what I did and this is what I accomplished. And the boast, instead of boasting about the cross of Christ, their greatest boast is themselves and what they've accomplished. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom nor the strong man boast in his strength, nor the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boasts about this, that he understands and knows me. Jeremiah. These are people, you notice this, people who are self-glory, when they're not getting their self-glory, do you know what happens? They grumble and complain. These are people who often grumble when they don't get their way because their attitude is me before God and me before you. That's what pride says. Me before God, me before you. Three characteristics we're called to not imitate. Number one, selfishness. Number two, pride. Here's the third and final one Paul gives us here. The pursuit of the world. Look at 19 again. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Last part. With minds set on earthly things. The pursuit of the world. This sums up the previous two. And everything else here that Paul didn't mention. Paul is speaking of those who love the things of this world and pursue them as their first love. They are captured by it. Money. Possessions. Success getting a family, doing whatever. He's speaking of, are you setting your mind on earthly things? Are you captured by those things? Are they driving you? Don't imitate that. Why? Because we see first part of 19. What's the result of pursuing these practices? Verse 19a, their end is, say it with me, destruction. Destruction. 
And Paul's speaking here of ultimate destruction, separated from God in eternity in hell. But even for genuine believers who, who imitate these in their lives, it brings destruction into your life. Why? Because it takes you further away from God, always. Because God can't bless it. It's a sobering word for us this morning. Okay, so if those are the three things Paul tells us to not imitate or to avoid imitating, what are we called to imitate? What should we look for? Well, praise the Lord. Three characteristics we're called to imitate. Not selfishness, but what's the opposite of selfishness? Generosity. Generosity. Psalm 119 Verse 36, I love it. It says this, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. That means, Lord, give me my satisfaction in you. Satisfaction in Jesus Christ is a catalyst for generosity in your life. When you are satisfied in him, one who puts needs of others ahead of their own. They are walking in contentment. They're generous with their time, with their prayers, their service to you, their resources and presence in your life. Man, do I ever just love being around a person when you know that they are present with you. Not distracted by the phone, not distracted by the next person walking past and doing this with their eyes, but are present. What a blessing of generosity. Can we practice that, church, through the Spirit? Three characteristics we're called to imitate. Not selfishness, but generosity. Here it is. Not pride, but humility. Humility. Philippians 2, 3 to 5. It says, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Is the picture of Christ in that text. People who boast in the Lord and consider others more important for themselves. So if pride says me before God and me before you, humility says the exact opposite. God before me, you before me. Imitate. Live with dependency. Imitate people who live with the dependency on the Lord and realize that they can do nothing apart from Him. And I have to tell you, loved ones, you haven't met all of the elders of our church yet. But I'm thankful for them. Elders to speak correction in love into my life and to pray and to pursue humility. Thank you. Three characteristics we're called to imitate. Not selfishness, but generosity. Not pride, but humility. And number three, not a pursuit of the world, but what? A pursuit of God. A pursuit of God. Colossians 3, 1-2 says, set your mind on things above and not on things. Amen. Direct opposition to what... Verse 19 says here, this is someone who is seeking the Lord as their first love and is able to pass along the heart, the heart of what it means to follow Christ. They might not be perfect in their practice of it, but their heart behind it. Someone who can pass along the heart of Jesus Christ and what it means to be pursuing him in the fear of the Lord. That's someone you want to imitate. That's the picture of Jesus Christ in them. 
These people are holding true to the principles that God calls us to as followers. A love for his word. A love for his church. A love for humility and holiness. And walking in hunger for him. And dependency and need. It's hard to get there, but so good. So freeing, loved ones. What's the result of this? Not destruction. If it's not destruction for eternity, what is it? Life. John 10.10. Jesus says, This thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. Life. Living here in this life in pursuing Christ and life eternally with him. And although we might look at this list, I don't know, keep this list up there, okay, guys? Why don't you put life up? Keep this list up there. And now, now here's the thing. Um, as you look at this list, imitate generosity, imitate humility, imitate the pursuit of God. I don't know about you, but I look at the left side and I'm like, yes, I got this pretty figured out. Hey, I got this side figured out. I'm good. Uh, no. But this side, I'm like, mm. as you're looking at that list, you might look and say, that seems impossible. That seems impossible to pursue Christ like that. Anyone else here? Anyone else here? Up high? Up high? Maybe just me? Just me? Yeah, okay, there you go. Good stuff. You're right. You're right. It is impossible on our own. This is why we need a Savior who was the perfect model of maturity for us. And Jesus Christ came to earth as fully God and fully man and died on the cross to pay the penalty for all the sins on this list and everything else not mentioned here that we have done or will ever do so that as we repent of our sin and confess him as our Lord and Savior, his power through the Holy Spirit now lives in us and gives us the power to pursue him in our lives and grow in a mindset for maturity and be a model of maturity for what it means to live our lives for him as his people in his image. The power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's comforting to me. That's why we don't have to, to, to live and walk under this yoke of guilt like we can never measure up. Jesus knew that. That's why he came. He says, because I measured up. I am the model. I am the standard. And when I live in you, I conform you to that. That's freeing. That's the gospel. That's awesome. That's the greatest news of all time. That's him we proclaim. That's why we proclaim him. Because he's worthy of it. Amen? Amen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we'll close with this, says, it's only because he became, he being Jesus, he became like us, that we can become like him. It's only because he became like us that we can become like him. So if you're here, worship team, you can come up. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, and we're sitting on the left side of the list here, I guess, yeah, left side of the list here, and you're like, that's me. That's me there. Listen, if you've never made the decision to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, um, he says, let today be the day of your salvation. Let today be the day. You don't have to end up in destruction. He says, come, I know where you're at. You don't have to clean yourself up. I died for that. I died for you. Come and taste and see the Lord is good. That's your first step. 
to growing in maturity in Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have professed faith in him, ask ourselves, am I living with a mindset for maturity? What areas do I need to confess or repent of and surrender to him where I'm not pursuing the maturity of Jesus Christ in his spirit? And am I seeking out a model of maturity in my life? And am I being that for someone else? Am I seeking out accountability and discipleship to say, let me learn from you? See, this is the mission of our church and loved ones, hey, everyone here, you have a role to play in it. You're not here by accident. Remember, not perfection, but pursuit. Not perfection, but pursuit. And you're wondering, well, how do, how do I start this? Come and talk to myself and some of the other, John will be up here and we'd love to pray for you and some of the other leaders in our church about um, how we can get you plugged in to discipleship here, to get known and loved and to grow in your walk with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this word today. It's in some ways a very hard word, a sobering word, but oh Lord, such a refreshing word today. We are not alone. The perfect model of maturity, Jesus Christ, can live in us. And you promise that he who began a good work will see it through to completion. You will not quit. And when it gets hard, you will not quit in the trial. You will not quit when we're discouraged or in the illness or in the fear or the anxiety. Oh, Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the call to make disciples. Oh, Lord, I pray we would be a church that embraces this call as its mission, Father, and live our lives, Father, in ways that reflect a pursuit of growing maturity in you. Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name.